Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Romans 8, 1 through 4, 14 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of death has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous, uh, righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. If you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fall heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the joy that we are celebrating today, the beautiful bringing together of the cross and the resurrection of our God and Savior. This is what should be proclaimed from every pulpit, from every church, every day with joy and gladness. The empty tomb, the risen Christ has amazing ramifications for me and you. We are no longer condemned in sin because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. Everything that we are commemorating this wonderful morning on Easter. There are so many realities about what God has done for us in Jesus that we often forget, or maybe we just have misunderstood all of the the things that have happened for us and to us in Jesus Christ. Or perhaps you're here this morning wondering, continuing to search and say, does Jesus have anything to offer me? Here in Romans chapter 8, Paul is summarizing everything that he has been saying previously in Romans chapters 1 through 7. He's been explaining the amazing plight and problem of all people, Jews and Gentiles, you and me, we, we are all sinners. We have rebelled against a holy God. We have rebelled against all of his ways, and we have been condemned. This is the first hurdle that all people come to in understanding who God is and what he has done in Jesus. Why? Why would you listen to this amazing message if you don't believe you actually have a problem? Whether you are here this morning and you have put your faith in Jesus for decades, or whether you're here and just searching, seeking, trying to understand what it is that God is telling you through Jesus Christ, we all must acknowledge the truth that we are sinners. That goes hand in hand with this idea of being condemned. To be condemned, there must be something to be found lacking, wanting, some sort of judgment being given against us. And we, in reality, are sinners by our own rules and laws, let alone God's rules and laws. You, you know this is true for you. You have rules for your own house, for your own life, ways that you want things to go, the wake-up time you're supposed to have, where the shoes go when you come in, how clean you're supposed to keep the kitchen. When your friends talk to you, you have expectations of how they would engage you, what is a nice conversation, and you call them out when it's not. 
yet you turn around and say very similar things to other people. Showing that same kind of lack of love and care, we, we are all lawbreakers. And we break the law when it's our own law, let alone when we're talking about God's law. Our perfect God has stamped his fingerprints on all of creation. We see it in every sunrise and sunset as the warm rays hit our face skiing up at Bogus. When you see a butterfly flitter across the deep green grass of summer and in every single image bearer that God has knit together so wonderfully in their mother's womb. God is perfect, holy, and good. And his creation was created to be good and to do good. This makes it so indicting when we do not do what God would want us to do. We should live according to his standards as his creation. He has made us in his very image. So he has every right to require holiness and righteousness from us that we would image him correctly. I mean, that's, that's what breaks when we sin. We break the image of God that we were meant to walk in continuously. And we were meant to show one another. We were meant to show a watching world who God is, what he's like in how we act, what we say and what we do. You know, the one who robs his neighbor doesn't just rob his neighbor. He robs God of his loyalty and submission. The one who murders his fellow man doesn't just murder a human being, but kills the very nature of love and respect that God has made us to walk in. And the one who lies to their friend is also lying about the nature of our God who constantly walks in the light. And the one who is critical of someone else misses that we are meant to exalt one another, encourage one another as priest kings and priest kings of the most high God. That is what is condemned. Us, our sin. We are sinners by nature and by choice. And condemnation is both our sentence and the execution of that sentence. We deserve the sentence of a sinner. We deserve the execution of being separated from God. That is what it means to be a sinner, to be condemned. But there's more to the story. Now, though it can be different, is what Paul tells us. Uh, Paul says we are no longer condemned if we are in Christ Jesus. This is different from before where people wondered, how was God ever going to bring people back to himself? How could he do that and stay holy and just and righteous? And we see now that he's done it by pouring out his wrath on Jesus Christ. And yet now is still different than then. Then someday when we will be not quite like today, where, where today we still walk and stand with, with sin in our lives, but we're being grown and sanctified. One day we will see that perfectly. But today we are no longer condemned. And most importantly, Paul reminds us that all of this has been done in Christ Jesus. Paul turns the phrase around from what we're used to, Jesus Christ, because he's forefronting his role and what he's done for us. Our Messiah, our Savior is this Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, who went to the cross and died your death there and rose again in victory and power. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The news gets even better for us, Paul reminds us. The law of sin and death has been at work in all of us. It's our sin nature. It's the law, the rule that governs our life and what we submit to naturally. 
For those of us in Christ Jesus, God has given us another law, a new law. No longer a law of sin and death that rules over us. Rather, it's the law of the very Holy Spirit of God himself. God's Holy Spirit has been sent. God has enjoined himself to you and me, to his people, that we might now be set free from the Holy Spirit as a new law, a new nature that rules us, that governs us, that that guides our conduct. And here's where we begin to lose some people sometimes in the description of what's going on. And this amazing change that is true for us in Christ Jesus because of his death and resurrection. You know, some of you this morning, you might be saying to yourself, he's right. I do break my own rules. I don't believe in a God, but I break my own rules. That's a problem. I don't want to look like a hypocrite to everyone. I'm just going to start trying harder. I need to kind of redouble my efforts, make sure that I I don't break the rules that I make, or at least make good ones that I won't have to break. Some of you might be sitting there this morning and saying to yourself, you know what? There probably is a God. I think he's out there. And I do break my own rules. Man, I really got multiple problems here. I I really need to clean up and work harder so that I can get things done rightly. And sadly, even Christians who believe in Jesus as their only hope can fall into this pattern as well. We think, I'm going to try to clean myself up to, to, to work to be less sinful so that, you know, even if these other Christians are really big sinners, I'm at least not quite as big of a sinner. Maybe I'm kind of a catch for God to have saved me because I was the easy one to save. We all try to work harder. And it won't work. It won't work. It's what Paul says. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. Here Paul's no longer talking about the law of our nature, the law of sin working within us, but he's talking about God's good and perfect holy law that he's given to his people to share who he is, his desires, and how he acts. This is about the knowledge of God and his holy desires. We see Paul just previously in Romans 7, 12 say that the law is good, not bad. It's righteous, That makes sense if it's pointing to who God is, all of his characteristics, all the things about him that we should know. And yet Paul says that our flesh, our flesh in Romans 7, 18 is weak. It's not bad, but it's weak. So sadly, when weak flesh is presented with good, right, and holy law, it still can't, it won't, and it doesn't change. We can say we will try harder, But that's just trying to make some sort of law, whether it's our law or God's law, change flesh that cannot change. I love this quote about the differences of the different kinds of law. Moses' law was right, but not might. It is. God's law is always perfectly right, but it does not change us from the outside in our sinful flesh. Sin's law has might, but not right. Sin rooted deep in our hearts has a stranglehold in us. It guides our desires and movements in ways we even wouldn't want. And it is never right. But the law of the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit in his people, has both right and might. That is what we need. We need the Spirit at work in us that we might have both right and might, the very right and might of God himself. Friends, don't abandon the process partway through. Don't refuse faith when faith is all you need and all you can hope to. Don't run back to the law as though you can justify yourself by your wit, your wisdom, or your works. It's not wisdom. It's not wise. And it will not work. Your flesh is weak and broken in sin. 
but God. God solved that problem for you by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. God sent his son, his own son, his very nature as it were for us. And he sent him in the likeness of flesh, just like you and me, a real person. And he sent him for sin as an offering for sin. At the cross, Jesus condemned sin in his flesh. By the very real flesh of Jesus, a real person, he condemned, he sentenced, he judged, and executed sin. Jesus reversed what is happening to you and me. The law of sin was subverting our flesh and weakness. Sin was trying to kill us. Jesus instead, through his flesh, killed sin. And God killed sin in the flesh, in the flesh of Jesus, through the work of his Holy Spirit, that his Holy Spirit's work might be possible in me and you, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We see here God's divine desire. His in order that. Why is he doing these things? He did all of this. Christ living a righteous life, his brutal death, his glorious resurrection, that something else might be true. Paul has spent the first part of this telling us one of the most amazing things that is true, that Christ died for our sins, and in doing so, he justified God and justified us. He demonstrated how God could bring sinful people back to himself and still remain holy and righteous. That is possible because Jesus bore the penalty of our sins on the cross. He bore them for three agonizing hours while the Father turned his face away as day turned into night and as Jesus' soul was wrung out through drinking the cup of God's wrath. Yet, he also wanted us to be sanctified. We cannot separate those two ideas. God wanted to see righteousness worked in us, to be filled in us. That is what Paul says here. That is part of the gift of the Spirit. Today, in part, we see ourselves grow as God's Spirit brings freedom from sin and power to overcome and be grown in righteousness. <clears throat> and we will see it completely one day in power when in an instant, God takes this perishable body, close it with what is imperishable, and we see ourselves in Christ's righteousness fully like a garment of white snow covering us. We will be seen as fully good, acceptable, and righteous in Jesus Christ by the work of the Spirit. Today we have a deposit, then in that day we have payment in full. Christians, this is the joy that we celebrate this morning. For those of you who don't yet believe in Jesus, this is what we want to invite you into. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who find themselves in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> the law of sin in our nature has been defeated. Where the law of the Old Testament could not help us, where our laws continue to fail, we have found real power and help in the Holy Spirit. Jesus has set us free from sin and brought us back into relationship with our God. Turn to him in faith and believe that God has truly loved you. Sadly, though, we often mix up this message. We remember to talk about condemnation, but in doing so, we often leave it as though God is just some sort of cosmic judge looking to get paid back what he is due. 
Sometimes we talk about the power of God to save us from our sins, but we leave the impression that we need to still work so that he can stay happy with us. Sometimes we talk about Jesus's righteousness that God gave us, that he imputes to us, but we neglect to remember that there is real freedom in the power of the Spirit and that the Spirit is a new law to us, a new nature that we might not need to walk in sin continuously. We often unravel and re-remember this, this amazing package in very unhelpful ways. And I think this is true because we often untether it from another amazing truth. In Christ Jesus, we have a new identity. Yes, God did many things for us at the cross, for us through the resurrection of Jesus, but just as, <clears throat> just as important, he did something to us. To us. Paul has said that all of these things that he has shared, the removal of condemnation, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the death of sin, the removal <clears throat> of sin's power, this is all true for us, he says in Romans 8. Who is the us? Who are we? How does Paul define us? And he says, we are those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Holy Spirit. In the Holy Spirit, we are no longer bound by the limits of the flesh, but rather we can walk in his strength and freedom. <clears throat> but he is more than just a new law to us. In the Holy Spirit, we are not left alone to fight in our own power and strength, but to be continuously in the power of God in Jesus Christ. But he is more than just a sign and a promise of power and presence. He is the sign that we are something different. He, we are something quantifiably different, something new now in Jesus Christ. And that identity is so important to Paul that that's where he heads here next in Romans 8. He says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. Being in the Spirit means that we live under a new law. Being in the Spirit means we live with new freedom and power over sin in our lives. But being in the Spirit importantly means that we are sons and daughters of the Most High God. I will say it again because I think we forget it all the time. You and I in Jesus Christ are sons and daughters of the Most High God. God purchased your sonship. God purchased your daughterhood. He secured it through the cross and through the atoning work of Jesus for us. The Spirit is given because we are sons and daughters. It is not something that we can earn. Look what John says here in 1 John 3.1. He says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. God gave us that love. He gave us the love of being called children, sons and daughters. He gave it to us through Jesus Christ and his cross and resurrection. And Paul says something very similar to the Galatians. He says, and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. It's because we are already belonging to him in Jesus Christ, because we are his son and daughter, that he gives us his spirit. Friends, that is not a small thing to miss. Do not miss your identity as God's beloved sons and daughters. If we don't fully grasp what it means to be given his spirit and how it is one of the main identifier as God's beloved children, we will misinterpret so much of the story of what God has done for us. When we ignore our new identity, it is easy to imagine God as some sort of Scrooge, giving us some sort of pittance of coal, salvation as it were, so that he's not mad at us. We can't be mad at him when we get to heaven. He's actually done something for us nice. 
When we don't remember our identity, this idea that we're sons and daughters, we can imagine God like some sort of sugar daddy, zooming in on the scene in his nice car, sitting out money to pay off for all the problems that we have, because you know what? He's got enough of it. Might as well share a little bit with everyone else and then leaving to never have a real relationship with us. These are mistakes that Christians make so often and the mistake that so many people who are seeking God don't really know that they don't understand. God did all these things. He died for our sins. He lived righteously that we might have his righteousness. He sent his Holy Spirit to free us from the law of sin and death and to work the very righteousness of God in us. Yet he didn't do this as it were in the civil court. He did this as it were in a court of adoption. If you're like me, you've thought about judgment and, and what, what things might look like. And it's a very sol- solemn and scary picture, this idea of, of the gravity of the situation. And we, we come to that very naturally when we think about the cross. When we think about the reality of the cup of the wrath of God that Jesus drank there. Yet Jesus was forsaken for a season that we, that we might enjoy the very presence of God. Christ entered darkness that we might enter into the light. He drank a cup of woe that we might drink a cup of joy. He was forsaken that we might be forgiven. Our experience should be seen very differently. It should be seen much more like the experience of a court of adoption. Have you ever had the privilege of being in a courtroom as someone is adopting a new child? And there's like a palpable sense of joy and excitement. And for these parents, something is going to be done that cannot be unraveled. This is now their child. No one can take them away. And for children that are old enough to understand what is going on, they too realize something new is happening here. I have a new identity after this moment. I am theirs and they will not give me away again. As the parents who take responsibility for their children, they are not concerned with the cost, though it may be great. They are saying, we love you. We willingly take all your debts, past and future, that you may know that you are ours. That is how God met our need. Not as though he's one paying off some astronomically expensive parking ticket that no one could ever pay off, but as a loving father who wants to draw his sons and his daughters close in adoption and who has lovingly and willingly accepted the cost to himself through Christ Jesus. This is how we should experience our salvation. This is the identity that we should embrace today. Jesus died our death on the cross that we might know the loving embrace of our God as our Father. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We are to come now to him as a father, not in fear. The spirit is not a spirit trying to bind us again in slavery, but but one who brings us in lovingly through adoption. Uh, Much like the spirit emanates from the son to the father, from the father to the son, he's now given us the spirit that we know we belong. We are part of this loving family. We cry out to God. We pray to God. We are his sons and daughters calling out to him affectionately. Now, I understand for some of you this morning, the word that you used for your father, dad, daddy, papa, father, 
is laden with mixed expectations of your earthly father. I am so sorry for that. It is one of my greatest fears as a father that I would misrepresent my God to my children because of how I act. That I wrongly image him and therefore hurt my kids' view of him. God is not like your earthly father. Take everything or anything good about your earthly father and he is so much more, so much better. He will never fail you. He will never despise you. He will never abandon you. He loves you and he has brought you back to himself at great cost. He has adopted you with great love and great mercy. Our new identity means that we now have an intimate connection with our God in Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Remember that. Don't fall back into fear. So often we can think about the obedience that God calls us to as sons and daughters and fear that it's a new kind of law chaining us back to something that we must do. But God's desires for us, his righteous request of us is never meant to make us fear our relationship with him. Our relationship with God is secure. All of our sin has been dealt with forever in Jesus Christ, past and future. Even God's requirements of obedience have changed for us by our identity as sons and daughters. I mean, think about this this statement. Radical obedience is pointedly defined as slavery. That's at one end of the spectrum. We can say someone is fully obedient if they are fully enslaved. They have no options, made to do everything perfectly. But insofar as this obedience is offered to the gracious Lord from a joyful sincerity, it also denotes genuine freedom and sonship. We can be asked to be on the other end of the spectrum of obedience, full and utter obedience, but when it comes from a law, from a heart of joy, a desire to express our new identity, one that is so thankful for the continued mercy and grace that our Lord showers on us, it is still obedience, radical obedience, given in joy, love, and thankfulness. And it can be viewed as sonship or daughterhood, not slavery. That is how you and I, that's how we obey today. If we were perfect sons and daughters, we would do it perfectly. But we're not. We don't. But it should come from a heart that wants to respond to our good God and to his amazing love for us. The heart of a child who understands the expectations of their parents are so good for them. So they want to follow. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. In the Spirit of God, we are sons and daughters and heirs. Not heirs in the sense that God is ever going to die and we're going to get everything from him. Jesus demonstrated that he can lay down his own life and pick it back up. Our Lord will never die. But this is a promise that we will inherit, inherit all good things that he has promised us. There is a, this is a fully sanctioned promise from God that everything he has said for us will definitely come true. And we can see that through the hope of the resurrection. God has promised us life with him forevermore. Life without a broken body. No more pain. No more sorrow. Every tear wiped away. Joy continuously in the very presence of our God in the new heavens and the new earth. But to be an heir comes with responsibilities. We must live like a son or daughter even here on earth. And that means we must live like the firstborn, our Lord and Savior Jesus provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's true that we are going to suffer, 
The world will despise us because it despised Christ. But do not let that dissuade you and do not let it fool you. Just like when people see sin in us, it continues to prove the necessity and the reality that God had to die on the cross that our sins would be dealt with. Just like our struggles point to the need that we have for the Holy Spirit in our life to be a new law, a new nature that guides us, our persecution points to the truth of a God as the one who can bring victory through suffering. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Christians, this is the reality that we are called to remember, to bring ourselves back to again and again every Sunday evening. That's why we're called to not neglect meeting with one another. And we also do it through communion, reminding ourselves of what our God did on the cross and the joy of his resurrection and all it means for us, all the things God did and all the ways he changed us, that we are now beloved sons and daughters of our God. We celebrate through a simple meal of some bread, some juice or wine, and celebrate Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us. This morning, we're going to celebrate that on, on this, the most celebratory and awesome, most amazing days that we look back to and remember. If you are here and, and you attend any church gathering anywhere as a Christian, if you attend ours, and if you're even here and it's been a long time, but you are remembering and being reawakened to the joy of what Jesus has done in your life, we would like to invite you, come, take communion with us today. Remember all the beautiful things that our God has done for us in Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I'm going to pray here in a minute, and the, the worship team is going to come up. I want to encourage you, during that next song, find the tables here or in the back or on the sides. Hold the bread and the juice together, and we will take it afterwards. But if you are here this morning and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, I want you to ask you to ignore what we do next. Instead of, of coming to a reminder of something that you haven't done yet, I would encourage you to actually consider what we just said. I don't want you to say some sort of rote statement that I'm going to give you. I'm not looking for you to have some sort of warm, fuzzy feeling, but I want you to actually consider what we just said. Do you believe that there's a holy God and that he made you and that he requires you to act holy and righteous like him? Do you believe that you are a sinner who deserves condemnation, punishment, and exile away from that holy God because of your sin? Do you believe that you are a sinner who deserves condemnation, punishment, exile, and have you come to the end of yourselves this morning and need to look to God to solve your problem of condemnation, to solve the problem of your sin? We are here to joyfully tell you he has done that. He has solved your problem. He has done that through Jesus Christ at the cross. Jesus he became a living life that took your sins and the wrath of God. He laid his life down willingly and took it back up again that you too might have new life in him. And God tells us all that is required is faith. Faith, placing our trust in God, trusting him to solve the problem for us in Jesus Christ and living a life that comes out of that faith. Truly, Become this morning a son or daughter of God. Don't just take a symbol of that. 
join all of us today in celebrating how good our God is and how much he has loved us in Jesus Christ and through the resurrection. This God who removed our condemnation and our Savior who died our death on the cross rose in victory that we might have hope and assurance of salvation. Today there is therefore now no condemnation for those who find themselves in Christ Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father God, would we all embrace that truth so readily that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What an amazing turn of events where sin looked like it had won. (coughs) You, through flesh, killed sin, condemned sin. Lord God, would we turn to your cross, would we turn to your resurrection, and would we in faith trust that you have done what only you can do? You have accepted the wrath. You have poured out love and mercy on us, and Father, would we run to you as a good father? Would we cry to you, Abba, Father, and know that you look down on us. You embrace us in love today through Jesus Christ. Father, we pray all these things might be true for us and for all those who hear your good word. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.